Hi, everyone, and welcome to the July 2nd, 2021 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. Folks, the numbers are staggering. A new report by the cybersecurity firm BlackKite shows automakers and their suppliers are woefully vulnerable to ransomware attacks. Systems are outdated, software isn't updated, and the pandemic and microchip shortages have been huge distractions thieves can take advantage of. So who is most at risk? How costly is this problem? And how can companies protect themselves? We'll find out when I speak with BlackKite's Chief Security Officer, Mr. Bob Maley, on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. Bob, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. That's my pleasure. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Let's start here. Uh, I think we'd be naive to think cyber attacks and ransomware incidents never happen in the auto industry, but I assume companies must stay pretty quiet or tight-lipped about any such breaches, and so we never really know how many there are in any given month or, say, any given year. So let me ask you, how common are these attacks in the auto industry, really? Well, it, it is hard to tell, uh, simply because a lot of times uh, they just simply pay the ransom. We've seen uh, from our research on the dark web, companies that have their information posted, uh, and uh, it never goes public. And we assume that's because they paid the ransom, uh, they get their systems unencrypted, uh, and they move on. And so we don't have those exact numbers, but here, here's the, the challenge uh, that we face. It's not so much of which particular industry happens to have been hit, because uh, the bad actors, what they do is they go to where the easiest money is to be made. And as other industries, uh, they've been targeting recently, uh, healthcare has been a, a high-profile industry that they've hit. But the healthcare industry is focusing on making uh, themselves more secure. And bad actors are just looking for places where they can go, they can get in, and they can get somebody to pay the ransom. So companies that have certain indicators that they might be uh, an easy victim, they're the ones that are going to get hit. And, and I wanted to ask you about that, actually. That, that's actually one of my questions. What makes an attractive target? Is it the business itself? So what they make, what they might have some sort of corporate secrets about or do these criminals just simply sniff out the most vulnerable companies period despite their size and their scope of business just sort of describe to me what makes an attractive target particularly in the auto industry well the easy answer to that one is it depends on who the bad actor is so (laughs) um, it it's really changed if you go back 20 years ransomware started out uh, on a five and a quarter inch floppy disk uh, that was sent out to a, a bunch of participants at a conference, and it was an attempt to uh, get their systems and get $150. Uh, you know, very small scale, but it was very effective apparently, and it's uh, it's grown since then. And it's no longer just a, a single actor who's uh, going somewhere trying to do things like that. It has developed into a criminal enterprise. Uh, if you look at one of the more recent ones, the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, it really wasn't the dark side is the name of the ransomware group that got pointed out uh, they were behind it. But essentially, they really weren't. Uh, their ransomware as a service platform was used by one of their affiliates. And that affiliate found a vulnerable system. And once they had a vulnerable system, then they used those additional resources uh, at, you know, from the ransomware gang. So uh, it, it, it could be either or. It could be just 
somebody that's not very experienced. They found a, a company that's vulnerable. They use this uh, uh, platform and they get in and they see what money they can get. And then on the flip side, obviously, is those uh, ransomware gangs that are targeting industries that uh, they, they've got a good checkbook. Uh, they know they have money. They know uh, that if they take their systems offline, that that business will probably lose more money than they will by paying the ransomware. And that's another point I wanted to get to. What's more costly to these companies, paying off the criminal behind the ransomware attack or all that downtime they potentially face if they're held um hostage by these companies and if you refuse to pay and then try and fix the problem yourself without paying the thief which of those two scenarios is worse and what do you see automakers and suppliers and those in the auto industry opting to do more often do they pay off the ransomware and move on or do they try and fix it themselves and try and save that payout but if they do that does that actually cost them more money well that's going to depend uh, it's it's truly a no-win situation. Uh, I, I would never want to be a CEO that had to make that decision. And there are things that companies can do to be prepared. Uh, there's cyber hygiene. Uh, some of the things that we do at Black Kite, we help our clients understand where the weak points are so they can make themselves less of a target. But on, on the other side is being prepared, understanding that if a highly capable, highly funded bad actor is going to target you, the chances are that they're going to get in some way. So you need to be prepared. You need to have, uh, obviously, to identify which systems are critical, which ones are exposed on the Internet that might become victim. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting with the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, we saw that the pipeline got shut down. The gasoline was no longer being able to be distributed. It, it impacted the end consumer in long gas lines. But that operational technology, OT is the technical term, mm -hmm. uh, for the systems that run the pipeline, they were never hit. It was an internal IT system, their billing system. And there was a business decision made that it's going to cost us too much money to deliver gasoline without being able to know who we've delivered it to and bill it. We'll lose too much money. I think that's what played into them uh, deciding to pay that. So it, it, it's an individual decision, and it depends on the maturity of the company. Are they prepared? Uh, how much is it going to cost? Uh, do they know uh, what the impact is to their business if, if their systems go offline for a week? Those are tough calls. I'm curious about this. How do other crises, such as the microchip shortage or a natural disaster, affect cyber attacks? Do those type of things, especially if they're long in, in length, do those type of things make companies even more vulnerable because their focus is somewhere else? Do thieves take advantage of those situations? Should your antenna, your antennae be raised more during those types of crises and, and being more aware of what might be happening uh, in your IT system in the background? Oh, absolutely. I know at the beginning of the pandemic, what we, we saw uh, some bad actors. They were standing up uh, malicious websites, uh, preying on individuals' fears about uh, where, where could they get medicine? Where could they get you know, things to help? Where could they get PPE? They, there were so many scams uh, based around the fear that people have during any kind of a crisis. Bad actors, that's what they do. If there's fear, 
Uh, if there is some way they can manipulate a, a crisis, a shortage, something, they will do it. And you can't drop your guard doing the during those types of events. So a victim in those circumstances might be a company um, that's maybe tier two or tier three in the supply chain looking for PPE because that is something that was so desperately needed early on in the pandemic. And those are the types of people who might click on a site or accept a phishing email from some bad actor, as you describe in those situations. Yep, absolutely. And, and it, it happened. There were, there were a lot of cases where it actually happened. You have a new report out, and some of the numbers I found were stunning. So, for example, Black Kite found that several automakers do poorly when it comes to the patch management or sending out the um, updates to software. In, in fact, your report found 71% of the auto companies it surveyed had an F rating in that area. Um, these are multinational, billion and multi million dollar companies. What's your reaction to that percentage when you see it is so high? Are you surprised by that? What do you think when you hear 71% of companies not fulfilling sort of their obligation to update their software? Well, as my CTO likes to say, there's more opportunity than there are hackers to take availability of it. Wow. (laughs) And so it's not surprising, but it's understandable. I, I see and know why a lot of companies uh, they have older operating systems that may be unpatched. Uh, they may believe that, uh, well, we have an operating system that uh, is, is fairly uh, ancient and out of date, but our systems are dependent upon it. We can't update it to a newer version simply because it would break our operational processes. Uh, so they keep that older system in place, and they start putting additional technical controls around it to uh, give them a sense of security. But when things become more complex in cybersecurity, that's when mistakes happen. That's when vulnerabilities uh, show up. And that's what bad actors look for. So if if they see, if they do a a, a fingerprint uh, operating system fingerprint uh, when they're doing their reconnaissance and they see newer levels of server software, uh, they'll probably move on to the next target. They, They like to look at those that have older systems. There are some systems we see out there that are literally uh, sunsetted by uh, the operating system manufacturers. There's no more security patches available. And they look for those types of things because they look for the easiest targets. That's what they do. And that's why operating system uh, fingerprinting is so important. It it seems to me like it's almost like you continue to build upon each... previous block and once you get so many blocks in this or so many chains in this so many links you can't go back and and fix it it's almost like the the sort of description we hear of air traffic control that you know they're using technology from the 60s but we can't shut down the airports to update it is that the situation we're in at the manufacturer's level um that they've just become so big so fast we can't just shut down our company to update all of our computers and software yeah, it's it's business. I mean, you know, the, the businesses are in business uh, to produce uh, the next great car, the next great uh, item. Uh, they're they need to move quicker and faster than their competition. And when they they develop systems and we, they put things in place to to do that, sometimes uh, the, the understanding cyber is at the back end of the chain. It's an afterthought because 
The bottom line is a business has to be profitable. And you don't start thinking about things uh, like cyber until this type of information about the number of uh, manufacturers with those poor grades when it, when it becomes apparent. How much of this falls on the employees themselves who are clicking on phishing links or going to websites that they maybe shouldn't visit or being fooled into giving up information? How much of it is at sort of the shop floor level or sort of the administrative level in offices? Or is this targeted at the uppermost echelon of the auto business? I just wonder sort of where the responsibility lies or where sort of the the, the victims are in this. Well, it's at all levels. So they'll, they'll try to attack all levels. There's different types of uh, phishing attacks. There's broad-based phishing attacks against entire organizations just looking for uh, a foothold in. There's something that's more uh, uh, specific called spear phishing that's targeted against upper-level executives and management. Uh, and there's different types of uh, scenarios that happen there. But I, I believe that the ultimate responsibility lies in the company itself. You know, we, can always, we can always blame the intern. We can always blame uh, it's the employee's fault. And although that employee may have actually done the clicking, there are things that companies can put in place to help reduce that. There's security awareness training. There's, uh, uh, we do uh, targeted phishing against our employees, we, uh, campaigns. So they're always on their toes. Uh, there's things like that. There's uh, uh, dual factor, you know, multi-factor authentication requiring that in your enterprise, because if, if that's in place, uh, then uh, it, it's less likely for an account to be compromised. So, you know, it really is uh, on uh, that I believe on, on the companies themselves that they should be the ones that are creating that environment that it, their employees aren't exposed to this type of stuff. We've talked a lot about the cybersecurity at the manufacturing level. Um, We cover all aspects of the auto industry. How at risk are dealerships, especially now with more transactions moving online and things like that? It's easy to say that everybody's at risk. So I would take the view of a bad actor. Uh, If I was going to go after somebody at a dealership, what would I be able to uh, extort from that particular dealership? And I would think that the amount of money wouldn't be sufficient to attract me. I put a lot of time and effort as a bad actor into doing these things. So I think that uh, it's not the small companies. Now, if it's a dealership that, that's fairly large, uh, that might be doing, uh, and I don't know what a typical uh, dealership, uh, you know, billions of dollars, uh, if their dealership's in that level, they might become targets. So I think it's more about, you have to understand uh, the bad actor view. They're going after where the money is. And if there's a dealership that is very successful, very high profile, and uh, they believe they have a lot of money and they have some low vulnerabilities, they may be a, uh, a target. Bob, I appreciate you being on the show. Fascinating conversation. A lot going on that we probably don't hear about. Um, but just great advice. Great chat. Thanks for joining me. You bet. My pleasure. You have a good one. We reached Bob at his office in Arizona. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the Canada Conversations tab at the top of the homepage. 
That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.